This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Annie Fry Show is brought to you by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. Right, you need to take the time and get the full picture. Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine. But they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. This is the Annie Fry Show. Welcome back to the Annie Fry Show. Happy Wednesday. Good to be with you today. And uh, I, you know, I'm I'm going into today thinking that I'm going to be talking to you about a whole host of things, and then we get thrown for a loop. And Kevin McCarthy is going to resign from Congress. I don't know if anyone really saw this happening the way it is happening right now. Uh, the Fox News report said that he will resign from his congressional seat and that McCarthy made the announcement in an opinion piece for the Wall Street Journal. He said it often seems that the more Washington does, the worse America gets. I started my career as a small business owner, and I look forward to helping entrepreneurs and risk takers reach their full potential. The challenges we face are more likely to be solved by innovation than legislation. McCarthy started the op-ed by writing, quote, I'm an optimist. How could I not be? He later on recalled how he helped Republicans to a House majority get to a House majority twice. We got more Republican women, veterans and minorities elected to Congress at one time than ever before. I remain cheerfully persistent when elected speaker because I knew what we could accomplish. So he says he's going to step down and uh, that makes the Republican majority even smaller. You got to ask yourself, what's the matter with us? Um, McCarthy endured a a days-long floor fight in January that eventually resulted in his ascension to the House's top job at a time when deep divisions within the GOP raised serious questions about the party's ability to govern following former President Trump leaving office. I just can't help myself. Matt Gaetz drives me crazy. (laughs) There are things that Matt Gaetz does. There are things that Matt Gaetz says that I am so in lockstep with. And this, this thing just drives me crazy. And 
here we are. So I, I can't imagine that we're going to be able, we can't even navigate the slim majority that the Republicans had before they got rid of George Santos, before Kevin McCarthy stepped down. There are like two other Republicans that are stepping down for various reasons. So I think that there is a slim majority of two Republicans left. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they're able to use this as a catalyst to a, a, a stronger victory in 2024. But I just have to tell you, 2016, I have 2016 in my brain. I, I know what it was like to go into an, uh, an obvious, guaranteed Hillary Clinton presidential victory, to know what it was going to be like to come off of eight years of Obama that I covered here uh, on, in the background sense that I was covering things with 97.1 because I started in 2009, February 2nd. So like just like a week or two uh, into President Obama's presidency. And that was a difficult eight years to look at what was going on in the country and to come to grips with the fact that Hillary Clinton was the anointed one and she was going to come in and swoop in and uh, continue to save the day for people who hate the foundational element of the United States of America and want to expand government and do the thing that we rebelled against initially, which is maximum freedom and control to reside in the hands and, and eyes and hearts of the American people and to not be constantly beholden to these families that recycle people into these positions where we don't ever really become represented in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump wins. And if, if you recall, if you could go back to that time in your brain, if you close your eyes and you think about that time, how long did it take for you to see a news article that Don, about Donald Trump actually being the president, hear something about Donald Trump actually being the president, come across something in your life that reminded you that Donald Trump was going to be president, and it was like hearing it for the first time over and over and over again? Like, you've got to be kidding me. This is real. I remember in my mind going, President Trump? That's such a weird thing to say. That's such a bizarre Sentence, President Trump. Hmm. And we didn't know as Republican voters, as conservative voters, as anti-Hillary voters, we didn't know what we were going to get with Donald Trump. We knew what we were going to get with Hillary. And what we got was, in many cases, very strong conservative leadership from that man. Enter 2018, enter 2020, enter 2022. Haven't had that feeling. Concessions abound. And excuses are made. And you go into 2024 going, who could possibly look at what we are dealing with right now and go, yes, I'll have another, please. And feel as though that Joe Biden in, in his current state, in his current capacity, is the man for the job at this moment in time. If you heard any of the testimony from Christopher Ray that took place on Capitol Hill this week, he made the comment that he hasn't seen, he, you know, you've, he's, he's seen various levels of terror threats arise in the midst of, you know, any given time. But he's never seen that this many terror threats at a peak at one time. He's concerned. He should be. And we are emboldening people who hate us to come here to potentially destroy us. We don't care. 
We're not doing anything about it. The problem is always the other guy's issue. The key fact of the matter is when Joe Biden became the president of the United States, his policy on everything was what did Trump do? I will do the opposite. And he implemented that time and time and time again in policies on the southern border. Among, of course, one of the biggest things, our energy economy. He did that in great order there. It was a high priority for him. But he has made us more dangerous. And we are in a situation right now where the southern border is being taken over by these migrants who are coming here. And they're coming in and they are not people. They are not refugee people. If you watch it, if you see it with your own eyes, you'll notice quickly there's something going on here that this is this is not good for our country, for our sovereign nation. The president was speaking at the White House today and he was talking about the desperate need for us to fund Ukraine and their fight against Vladimir Putin. He went on for a bit explaining how Putin and Russia have committed war crimes against Ukraine and how the funding is going to run out. And if we don't step up and stand in there and continue to send our American dollar to Ukraine, that the stakes are too high to not do it. Now, if you've been watching the negotiations between the House of Representatives and the Biden administration, you know that the House of Representatives says we need full border security funding before we talk about Ukraine funding. So President Biden gave, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven minute speech about imploring Congress to get Ukraine funded. And then the press went to ask some questions. Let's listen in. Would you be okay with Democrats willing to uh, put more on border policy to get this current package through? Yes. What would you be okay with Democrats agreeing to? I've already laid out in our negotiations with Lankford and others what we're willing to do significantly more, particularly by starting off equipping the border capacity that we need on the border, from judges to more border security in addition to making some substantive changes. But they're unwilling to do it. We thought we, I, I really thought, <clears throat> I felt good for a while. I thought we were making some real progress. Langford's a decent guy. It looked like he was prepared to move in a way, in a direction that we could come up with a compromise, both changing in substance, changing policy on the border, as well as security at the border. But they've walked away. It's take everything we have here, um, their one proposal, which is extreme, or nothing. In the meantime, the nothing means we don't get any support for our friends and our the innocent people of Ukraine. Anyway, I'll President talk to you more after the and also China. President Biden on Ukraine and also China. Uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70% of Americans, including 40% of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans, uh, to Americans admit this impeachment inquiry, why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many uh, of these, their lies. business associates? I did not. They're what? lies. So that's that. We're going to speak with Andy McCarthy in 10 minutes or so. And I'm going to ask him about two things, because as you know, every time we have on these 
high-level legal experts, I have to pick and choose a lane. Do I want to talk about Republican presidential candidate legal issues or Democrat presidential candidate legal issues? Weird world to live in, but here we are. Uh, as of this point, it's most likely your binary choice, <laughs> if we have binary, binary choices anymore. There are two things that are taking place in the Trump world, two rulings that came out that aren't in Donald Trump's favor. The first one is a judge in D.C., you know, that it's it's not a favorable district for him. That's a fact of the matter. It's the truth. But it is the reality of the situation. This is where this court case is going to take place. There is a charge that he was interfering with the 2020 election. And the judge just ruled this past weekend that he can be charged and he's not immune from prosecution. So that at this point is going to go forward. The second is a D.C. Court of Appeals ruled that Trump has not established that he has immunity from civil lawsuits for action leading up to the J6 Capitol riots. So what does that mean for these particular instances? Uh, the first one being more significant than the second. Andy McCarthy will break that down for us. Plus, we're going to talk to him about the uh, pursuit in the House for Joe Biden's the impeachment inquiry. An impeachment inquiry is separate than an actual impeachment uh, hearing or trial that would take place in the Senate. Before they vote to impeach, they vote to inquire about an impeachment. So basically, they're just going to open a fact-finding mission. They're going to search for evidence that suggests that, yes, Joe Biden absolutely deserves to be impeached, or no, this does not meet the high crimes and misdemeanors uh, category to impeach Joe Biden, or they find out it does potentially reach the level with which impeachment might be a necessary vote to take in the House, and they decide, based on the timing and the timeline, that they're not going to engage in that. I don't know where that's going, but the evidence continues to mount that Joe Biden was absolutely being enriched through his son and his son's business partners with these foreign countries, including China. People who don't see that as evidence are very picky and choosy on what they're willing to listen to and hear and wait to see all the wrinkles be ironed out. I personally don't think that impeaching Joe Biden is going to be the right path for Republicans politically. I would also say that probably politically the right thing to, to do against George Santos was not to expel him. But I am not sad to see George Santos go. I think he's a liar. I think he's disgusting. I think he got into Congress on false pretenses and the fact that the Republicans had the uh, stones, so to speak, to do the right thing there. It's impressive morally and politically. It's expected. So we'll talk to Andy McCarthy when we come back in the one o'clock hour. Dory Murdoch is going to join us and he wants to talk about that. You've heard this phrase. It's the latest. It's the latest in the Democrat talking points. Donald Trump will be a dictator when he gets elected. Can't do it. Everybody wake up and remember he's going to be a dictator. Oh, my gosh. Uh, they're getting scared. That's I mean, when you listen to people refer to Donald Trump, what he's going to do when he gets into office and you see panic in their eyes. That actually calms my fears that maybe he is electable. They're scared. And I would be, too, if I were running Joe Biden on my side of the ticket. Dory Murdoch will talk to us about that. Sarah Parshall uh, Perry is going to join us. She's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. At 125, she's going to talk to us uh, about something J.B. Pritzker is up to. 
little dark money dabbling. We're going to talk about that with her at 125 and get to know, get to the bottom of the story that she's reporting on. So stick around. Annie McCarthy going to join the Annie Fry Show when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back to the Annie Fry Show. Appreciate you being with us this afternoon. Stay tuned because we're going to be giving away a Cardinal Ticket Pack for the holiday season here a little bit later in the show. Uh, you want to be listening for that moment when that uh, sounder fires. We've been talking about, we heard, listened to the president who just talked about the border funding and pairing it with Ukraine funding and waiting to see what actually is going to come of that in a deal with Congress. That's what he hopes. And in the midst of all of this, last night we have a Donald Trump town hall the leading candidate for the Republican nomination, Joe Biden, the incumbent, being uh, a questionable but obviously leading candidate for the Democrat nomination. Where do we go from here? Lots of legal challenges facing both of them. And that's when we go to our expert guest. Andy McCarthy is back with us, a contributing editor at National Review, also a, fas- a fellow at National Review Institute and a Fox News contributor. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thank you for being with us. Andy, great to be with you. Um, I, you know, I, I, there's two completely different stories here, but they're so intertwined with an election. Yeah. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about the news that took place this weekend on a couple of rulings out of D.C. regarding Donald Trump. Not really favorable news to him. Also, probably not surprising. Yeah, but uh, very important in the sense that I think Trump's obvious strategy here is delay, um, because if he can get these trials, especially the federal criminal prosecutions, pushed off beyond Election Day. And if he were to win the election, or even if he were not to win but a Republican won, uh, there'd be a new Republican Justice Department, and they may drop the cases. So, you know, that's what he's banking on. Um, and for that reason, the issue that came up in these cases over the weekend, which is, does he have immunity from prosecution for what he says are actions that were taken within the ambit of his executive duties. Um, Does he have immunity from criminal prosecution for those and from civil prosecution or civil lawsuits? The criminal prosecution is the very important one. Mm. And that's the the reason for that. uh, That's the reason that the judge 
put the briefing on that on a fast track because that issue is probably appealable pretrial, even though the preference in federal law is that you don't you don't do any appeals until the whole ca- court cases uh, run its courts in the uh, in the district court in the lower court. So she made them Judge Chutkin. This is Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee. She made the parties brief this by the end of November, and by December first, she had a ruling out. So now the ball is kind of in Trump's court to appeal to the D.C. Circuit and potentially appeal to the Supreme Court, although I don't think they'll take the case. So we're speaking with Andy McCarthy right now. He's a former chief assistant U.S. attorney, and uh, you can find him on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. Is this one of the cases that we expect to have a resolution to before the election or in, in the whole body of legal challenges that Donald Trump is facing right now? Could they all be delayed, the tactic that you're talking about, to where it's a whole different ballgame should a Republican become president? Yeah. So, you know, he's he's on trial now in New York in a civil case, right, which is a very big case for him because it goes to the um, the financial and, and business viability of his real estate empire, um, which is being challenged by the New York State Civil Authority. So that case is on trial. And I think, Annie, that it'll be wrapped up um, probably uh, before I, I probably before Christmas, it's, it, mm-hmm. I think it's winding down or probably end. the evidence will probably end this week or next week. Um, and we already know he's going to lose that case because the, the judge ruled against him on one of the major claims even before the trial started. So the trial is really about how much the judge is going to let the uh, state district attorney, who was an elected progressive Democrat who ran promising to use the power of her office against Trump, uh, the the judge is also an elected progressive Democrat, and um, the, the issue there is how much is he going to let her run up the score? She's trying to disgorge him of $250 million in revenue that uh, the Trump organization has earned over the years. So that case is going to be resolved. The criminal cases, which are the ones that are, I think, most important because they go to Trump's ability to campaign, uh, and you know the sentences could involve uh, you know prison sentences if he gets – convicted. Unlike a civil case, this is important. Um, in a criminal case, the defendant has to attend every day. Right. So, for example, this March 4th trial uh, in Washington, which is the one I think is the one I'm pretty sure is going to go to trial before the election. That's going to be a two to three month trial where he'll, he'll have to be in, a, in attendance every day. It starts the day before Super Tuesday. Wow. So unless the nomination's wrapped up, um, you know, in the heat of the campaign, he'll have to be in a criminal courtroom every day for a few months. And if he gets convicted, there's generally uh, about three months between the time a jury renders a verdict and the judge imposes sentence. I assume that the judge would let him be out on bail pending sentence. But in uh, in federal law, the the default position is if you get sentenced to a term of imprisonment, the judge remands you at the time of sentencing, meaning sends you to, to prison, unless you can establish that there was some error in the trial that makes an appeal likely to succeed, which usually the judge who presided over the case is not going to signal to the Court of Appeals, gee, I made a big mistake here. 
So, you know, it's, it's going to be uphill for Trump on that if he gets uh, if he gets convicted. And we'll probably be grappling with that around August, September. Oh, that is wild. Um, it is. It's absolutely wild. Speaking with Andy McCarthy right now on the legal issues that the presidential candidates face, uh, a lot of people use the term banana republic. They say that the uh, the legal challenges being thrown as roadblocks in front of Donald Trump are to uh, punish him for what he's done and keep him from being able to get back in the Oval Office to do it again. Is 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 it too far of a cast for people to say this is banana republic? Type stuff because the one thing I get from a lot of legal experts when I talk to them about this is that in Washington D.C. it's a done deal. In in Fulton County it's a done deal. You know how these people are going to rule. It seems like this is not fair. Yeah, well, I think that, you know there's a lot of levels to that. Um, there's clearly a two-tier justice system. If you're a Democrat, you get one quality of justice. If you're Trump, you get a or a Republican, you get a, a different one. That's obviously true, and I think it's. Part of the reason Trump is the Trump supporters uh, have been galvanized by these prosecutions and, and really they've been the dominant issue in the Republican primary. No other candidate can even get traction. Right. And I think that's because even people who aren't crazy about Trump don't like what they're seeing, the way the justice system is being used here. And I think the, the, uh, the complexity here is if a president committed an obvious crime – like, you know, let's make up something crazy, like, you know, the president brought someone to the old office and shot him, right? Nobody would say that he shouldn't be prosecuted for that because he's president. But in this instance, what we're talking about is Trump acting within the duties of the executive under the Constitution, which include, uh, you know, calling into question whether federal elections have been uh, have been fair or you know, fraudulent or, or what have you. And what he's been indicted for are very curious interpretations of the criminal statutes that um, have been indicted. So I think there's a profound issue about whether this is actually fraud. He's been charged with fraud on the government. In, in federal law, fraud means a financial crime, essentially. Uh, they're using this as like he was involved in a deceptive scheme to overthrow the election. Um, there's a couple of obstruction charges, which are, you know, a, a an interpretation of a particular obstruction statute that the Washington, D.C. Circuit Federal Court of Appeals has had a lot of trouble with in terms of applying. And then Smith also brought a civil rights statute, which stems from the 19th century and was directed at the Ku Klux Klan, which was trying to intimidate black people from being able to vote. He's applying that to what Trump did in trying to get votes canceled out post-election, which I don't think is what the statute is meant to be applied to. Mm. So I think what you have here and what I find very disturbing is these are actions that he took as president, and they are being indicted under statutes, which to me are very curious applications of federal law. This is not one of those situations where president committed an extremely serious crime that everybody can look at and say, man, that's a crime that needs to be prosecuted. Well, that leads me into shifting to the other side of the political aisle, watching evidence continue to be uncovered or to be investigated by James Comer in the House of Representatives and the discussion now of a potential uh, impeachment inquiry that, that could lead to who knows where and what amount of time that we have left before the election actually happens. 
in in the same vein of that banana republic, we have Republicans now investigating the leading Democrat nominee, the current president of the United States and his family. Do you feel as though there is evidence that has been presented so far that you've seen that warrants the inquiry that the Republicans in the House are investigating? Well, yeah, I think that if, uh, you know, if 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 this were a Republican president <laughs> and uh, corrupt and anti-American regimes or their agents had poured $24 million into the family coffers of that president over a five-year period, I think there'd undoubtedly be an impeachment inquiry. But on the other hand, you have to be realistic about this stuff, right? So the Republicans have a um, an eight-vote margin, which means the, the speaker can only afford to lose three votes, which is why they haven't even – they say now they're going to vote to approve the impeachment inquiry, but they haven't even done that to this point, because the votes aren't there. You have 18 Republicans who were whose districts are districts that were won by Biden in 2020, and they don't want to vote for an impeachment inquiry, much less could you see them down the road, um, you know, approving articles of impeachment. And then you have the problem that the Constitution says to convict and remove a president, you have to get a two thirds supermajority of the Senate, which yeah, is controlled right. by Democrats. So it's inconceivable that Biden's actually going to be, you know, impeached and removed. And therefore, you have to ask yourself, is this just a political exercise? Do you have a situation where pro-Trump Republicans, knowing that he's going being put through the ringer by the Biden Justice Department in the criminal justice system, do they want to have a parallel impeachment investigation against Biden at the same time? Um, but it's not going to end up in impeachment and removal. Yeah, that's just not that's just not in the cards at all. Well, last question before we let you go. It's a quick one here from a listener wants to know, and this is beneficial for both sides of the aisle. Can a president pardon himself? Yes, there's nothing in the Constitution or the uh, the pardon provision that says that the president can't pardon himself. There's a lot of people theorizing that, you know, it's an ancient uh, uh principle of Anglo-American law that you can't be the judge in your own cause, but the president is the judge in his own cause all the time. There's nothing that says he can't do it. Um, you know, there'll be howling, but there always is. Right. Yeah. I don't, if we can find the thing that will quell the howling, then we will have, <laughs> we will found the pot yeah. of gold, I think. Andy McCarthy, thank you for being here with us. And we look forward to having you back as these stories continue to evolve. Thanks, Annie. Thank you so much. Contributing editor at National Review, Fox News contributor, former chief assistant U.S. attorney, Andrew McCarthy. Great to speak with him. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Wiggins America in studio here. The history of Christmas cards and other Christmas traditions. We'll see which of these Christmas traditions maybe you hold. You can discuss with that with us as we broadcast live on the Annie Fry YouTube channel. Uh, reminder that we do a YouTube live chat poll every, today, uh, every day. And today's we found out that... They're, they've named the time person of the year, Taylor Swift. She is the person of the year. So our poll today is, do you like Taylor Swift? Yes or no? We'd love to know what you think about it. Come vote on the YouTube live chat poll. Say hi, leave a comment, and hang out for Wiggins America. We'll be right back. Wiggins. Oh, Wiggins. Hello, friends. I'm excited to bring you a little bit of Christmas cheer in the way of Christmas history. Several stories here about uh, different Christmas history items and some being made right now, in fact. Let's start with Christmas cards. <laughs> Have you ever wondered when Christmas cards started? Not just letters to each other. Don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. 
That's not the question to ask. Nobody ever has wondered. Nobody was ever sitting there going, I wonder where Christmas cards came from. They were. Yeah, I was walking around in the kitchen, and I was like, you guys ever wonder where Christmas cards came from? They were like, we were just thinking that. Start with something like, Annie, do you enjoy getting Christmas cards? And then I go, yes, they warm my heart, Ryan. I love them. And you can then say, well, I can tell you where they started. And then you can tell us the very important thing that is next. Oh, shoot. You want me to hit the sounder and we can do it can again? Can you do that again, can we, please? Can we just start from yeah. scratch? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Wiggins. Oh, Wiggins. We bring you some Christmas cheer in the way of Christmas history here oh, on nice. Wiggins America. Plus, Annie, do you enjoy getting Christmas cards? I do. I love them. <laughs> they warm my heart. What if you had said no, though? I... I just tried so hard not to say no. <laughs> I saw it in your eyes. But I didn't. But then you ruined it. We are going to have to do it again. Nah, no, no. It's okay. Really. I, are, I, are you sure? I did the nice thing, and I played along. Okay. Which is not what I usually do. Okay. And then you derailed the whole thing. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I didn't do the mean thing. Well, everybody out there was wondering. I was just walking around, and people were like, Ryan, when did the Christmas card come about? And I'm like, I can't believe you asked that. I'm doing my segment on that today. Are you? The year was 1843. <laughs> it's about time to go to break. <laughs> and it was a good year for Christmas, 1843 was, because Charles Dickens' legendary festive tale, A Christmas Carol, was published, and the first commercially produced Christmas card was launched that same year of 1843. Now, you might wonder, well, why was it not necessarily popular right away, Ryan? Well, because, since you asked that question, uh, they were expensive at the time. It was very, very expensive to produce Christmas cards. That's why most people just wrote letters. Uh, the equivalent of about $3 per card today, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but if you're buying a bunch of them. Well, in 1848. Well, no, that's today's. That's oh, that's today. today's It's a shilling, oh, okay. a shilling okay. according to that, uh, that era. But it would be $3 today, roughly. And here's the weird thing. It took them a while to take off. But once they did in the late 1800s and early 1900s, people really loved sending bizarre Christmas cards. We're talking, and, and you couldn't take photos as much back then, so they were mostly drawings of Christmas scenes. But they'd be weird scenes. You can still find these things. Armies of black and red ants battling it out under a banner saying, compliments of the season. <laughs> Lobsters snipping at children. Or Christmas pudding in human form that just says, may yours be a joyful Christmas. <laughs> I, I love the fact oh. that this was how Christmas cards really got going. Uh, another one, and they have some pictures of some of these things in here. says, another one shows an elderly couple laughing maniacally as they lean out a second story window, pouring water onto a group of carolers. The Bidens? <laughs> <laughs> no? Well, it could. I mean, they're elderly. You don't really... Makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, what? Our entire youth, up until Barack Obama, you had your choice of gift cards that you could give people that made fun of the president of the United States. That's true. Mm -hmm. It stopped with Barack Obama. I don't know if I've seen stuff with Trump, but I think Trump triggers people so much that you can't really say happy anything to somebody who hates Trump. And they're certainly not going to put a Trump on a gift card that yeah. makes somebody happy. But do you remember all the Bill Clinton gift cards? Oh, yeah. And the George, George W. Bush. Yeah, the George yeah. W. Bush ones. The George Bush ones. You know, I don't like broccoli, but I like you. Stupid, dumb stuff <laughs> yeah, like Christmas that. Yeah, Christmas cards. Greeting cards. Nixon. Stuff. I mean, 
Why? Yeah, I think it's because people got too sensitive about it. I think that we should recreate that gift card with the Bidens. I do, too. So they're pouring water onto carolers, and just below it, it just says, wishing you a jolly Christmas. <laughs> no, they're pouring water onto carolers, but, like, with a little hush face, and they're like, yeah. it's something about climate change. And you have to say under it, wishing you a jolly Christmas, but in a whisper. Because <laughs> it's the Bidens. Uh so the the question I have associated with this is simply, well, oh, by the way, to your point, Annie, this kind of stopped in World War One. That's what made it everybody go back to, hey, let's let's be a little more serious for a minute yeah. here and not send out all joke cards. The question I have is, when's the last time you sent out a Christmas card? Never. You've never sent one. No. Really? Even like with family pictures, not, maybe not a card, but like a picture or anything. No. Wow, you? Uh, personally, no, but my wife sends out Christmas cards every year. So you guys hey, do. Hey, yeah. hey, yeah. hey! You could take credit for that. That's, a, that, yeah, that, that's we, a we thing. We send out Christmas cards every year. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Good job. You, yeah, usually something that she makes nice. And yeah, I wish my husband would get on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. He's too busy hunting wild game. <laughs> And just doing man things. I had to play for him the conversation from yesterday about telling. It was a good one. Telling the St. Louis metropolitan bi-state area that he was not really okay with going to Starbucks <laughs> because it's not manly enough. And he he listened to it, and I was kind of like side eye watch him, like, oh, I hope this doesn't make you mad. Because <laughs> I mean, as you guys know, our spouses, anybody who's in our orbit, if you experience something with us. That's taking a risk. It's fodder for the air. <laughs> it's taking a risk. Yeah, it really is. And my husband probably is the one. And I mean, I, I love my husband so dearly. And I never, ever intend to disrespect him. If I'm telling a story about him on the air, it's probably something I love the most about him. But I told that story and I was watching him. And he kind of had his like, <clears throat> I'm prepared to be amused here. Look, but I was you always know, hoping that. It, and when you said something, I said he, if you ordered your chai tea frou frou latte thing, that he'd get out of the car and you said that he yeah and go skin a deer. That made it okay. <laughs> I'm just looking out for you. Yeah, he found that. My, you know what my family does is they, if they find that there's something that you guys are gonna make fun of me about, they will go. All in. <laughs> Especially if it's ahead of time. Now, if it's after the fact, they'll enjoy it. Well, give me... But if it's going into it, they're like, oh, this is our chance. I got my best friend's number. Mrs. Wiggins and I text all the time. But just give me the rest of your families. We'll start a group text. Eh, I don't know that that's going to work out well for me. All right. So it's not going to happen. Mrs. Wiggins, just send me, the, send me who I need to include. You know what? She might be listening right now. She's got a half day today. Yeah? I hope she's not. Hi. Hi, Mrs. Wiggins. You're not listening. I this isn't you. about you. We don't. We don't communicate with you at all. This isn't going to go well for you. I do. We don't. <laughs> I was going to say. Back to uh, Christmas traditions here. Germany is credited with starting the Christmas tree tra tradition back in the 16th century. Of course, they were all real trees. But here's the thing. Real trees are making a big comeback. You're probably a fan of this. Um, I just get real trees. <laughs> so... Yeah, I you am. You're fan. not part of a real tree social movement. I, I just say, never really thought about it that way. I have a real tree in my home. I also have an artificial tree in my home. It's a Disney tree. As much as you love Christmas cards and how much they warm your heart when you receive them, let me ask you another question. Mm -hmm. Which generation do you think is the biggest on real Christmas trees right now? Um, mm, 
We'll say Gen Z, Millennials, Boomers, Gen X. That's the four we're talking about. Gen Z. You are correct. Gen Z. Because they are expensive. Gen Z is the biggest. It's trees.com did a survey that 73% of Gen Z. I know. They are arbiters of the science. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, Arborday.com says that 73% of Gen Z use a real tree as of 2020. And it actually goes down the line. So 64% of millennials, 61% of Gen X, and just 47% of baby boomers. So the older you are, the more likely you are to use a fake tree. The older you are, the more ha- the more hassle it is. That's exactly right. I wouldn't su- be surprised at all. Like if I'm 85 years old, I'm not like, hey, you want to go cut a tree down in the forest? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I went, think you got to go in the forest well, anymore. I went to Market Basket. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> do, do they actually smell that good? Oh, yeah. Does it change the atmosphere in the living room? Yes. Because I can't. For sure. It's the number one reason to do it. I have such a bad sense of smell that it would be lost on me. And if I walk into one, I don't even know because I can't smell anything. Can't help you with that. (laughs) (laughs) Annie, why can't I smell? Why do I smell bad? (laughs) Poorly. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, Jeroy Murdoch, Sarah uh, Perry, when we come back. Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 